Hello and welcome to Beauty for Ashes, the podcast that uplifts and inspires you to cultivate that fire on the inside. It's your time to become liberated and to become unapologetically the woman you were created to be. Be sure to listen in as we have authentic and transparent conversations that are real, raw, and relevant. We are breaking the rules and covering all topics from careers, mental health, healing, relationships, spirituality, to just plain old life. Are you ready, sis? Sit back, kick those heels off, and let's get this fire started with the fire starter and transformational life coach, founding partner of Beauty for Ashes International and Breaking Point Coaching. Here's your host, Jacqueline Johnson. Hey, sis, we made it. You made it. I made it to 2021. Welcome to season three, episode one of Beauty for Ashes, the podcast. Thank you to those of you that rocked with me for 2020. And thank you for those of you that will rock with me in 2021. We have a lot of great content, a lot of great discussions that we will be Uh, that will be taking place in 2021. So please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. I wanted to kick the first episode off by discussing a topic that is top of mind for most people, most Americans, and most women. Most of the topics that we're going to discuss today really do pertain to men and women alike. But I also want to shine a light or amplify a specific issue or specific um, issues that pertain to black and brown people, more specifically women. And you might be asking yourself, why black women? Did you know that black women suffer significantly higher rates of diabetes and mortality from coronary artery disease, stroke and hypertension, as well as maternal mortality? The COVID-19 pandemic is really shining a light on the healthcare disparities that exist for Black women. Black women issues are serious. Black women have often reported that they are not taken seriously by their doctors. There's a myth called the strong Black women that plays a part in that treatment. And we're going to talk about that today. There are inequities and um, disparities that exist for Black women across socioeconomic statuses. And so, again, we're going to talk about all of those things pertaining to health care. Do you have questions about the COVID-19 vaccine? What happens if you test positive for COVID? What are some things you should be thinking about? How do you advocate for yourself um, in the healthcare system that may not be designed to help you? What are some things you can do to advocate for yourself? What if you are in the sandwich generation like me and you have to take care of your parents as well as your children? What if they live in a different state? How can you advocate for them across the miles? We're going to talk about that. So please make sure that you grab your cell phones, grab your notebook and that pen and be ready to take notes, kick those heels off, grab some cover and get comfortable. This is going to be a discussion that you do not want to miss. 
Now, these ladies um, today will be sharing lots of knowledge, lots of wisdom with you. And for that very reason, we're going to break this episode up into two different segments. Again, please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. But I trust them explicitly because I have known them for years. I have known them since high school. We were debutantes together, and that was a long time ago. We are from Augusta, Georgia, and we made our pilgrimage, I should say, from Augusta to Bennett College, where we all graduated from Bennett College um, for women in Greensboro, North Carolina. So without further ado, I am going to turn things over to my dear friends, my sisters, my friends, again, who will be sharing knowledge with you. And before we jump into the meat of this conversation, I do want to put a disclaimer out there. The information shared today is not meant to take the place of any advice or information that you would normally receive from your doctors. So if you have specific questions about anything that we're going to discuss today, please make sure that you are having conversations with your physician so that they can work with you to develop the best course of action for you. So Dr. Alicia Elam, I want you to introduce yourself and, and, and share your background. And then I'm going to ask Angie to come behind you, Dr. Angela Overstreet, I should say, Dr. Angela Overstreet Wright. Why do I always want to call you Overstreet, Angie? Um, what you don't know is Angie and I used to be roommates. So I often want to refer to her as Overstreet. And she has been married for years. And I love myself, some Bernard Wright. So Angie, how long have you and Bernard been married now? This is year 20. The year after you, since our first dance was at your wedding. <laughs> That's right. Look at that. <laughs> I feel so special. You and Bernard found love at my yeah. wedding. So yeah. <laughs> great, great. <laughs> well, ladies, please tell the listeners, tell the sisters something about yourself. Okay, I will start. I am Alicia. I am a pharmacist. I've been practicing for, oh my gosh, 26 years now. I am also an associate professor of pharmacology at Augusta University. I obtained tenure status recently within the last year. I'm very proud of that. I am homegrown. I'm uh, from Augusta, born and raised, went off to college, went off to pharmacy school, joined the Navy. I'm a former member of the U.S. Army Reserves, as well as a member of the U.S. Navy. I've served on both sides as an enlisted personnel and as an officer in the Navy. So I'm a veteran. I'm very proud of that. And I'm just happy to be here with my sisters, with my homegirls to talk more about healthcare disparities within our system. Yes, yes. Black girl magic in effect. Mm-hmm. What about you, Dr. Wright? Good morning. I am Dr. Angela Overstreet Wright. I also am from Augusta, born and raised, product of public school system. Graduated from Butler High School and then took the trip to Greensboro, North Carolina. And we all finished together at Bennett, good times, bad times, but learned a lot about loving people and sisterhood, which is priceless 
Mm -hmm. Came back to Augusta, did medical school here. Didn't know I was going to do residency here. I was trying to get back to Greensboro. But, you know, God had a plan to his own because I just knew I was never going to find anybody in Augusta and then wound up running, slapping to my husband during my residency. And so we um, dated. And then again, Jackie's wedding sealed the deal, made some transitions for us. We all had a wonderful weekend during that time. And a lot of decisions and discussions were made. And so 20 years ago, we married my husband already had custody of his two children. So I have two grown children, thank God. And I have two grandbabies. I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old grandbaby. And so I'm grandma and granny, of course. (laughs) So I uh, worked for 20 years with Federally Qualified Health Center in South Augusta, which is again, the area where Butler is located. And then after that, did a short time at the VA. And during that time, because of some, you know, restless things, I think that were in me and in the way that I wanted to serve my community, I started Health Done Right in 2020. Again, God's plan opened kind of sort of the week before we shut down for COVID. And so things have been progressing, but that's where I am now looking onto the year and working with some very great nurses. And of course, my husband does double duty. That's awesome. 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 See, Black girl magic in effect again. So I am so proud of both of you. One little known fact that I didn't share earlier in the um, podcast is that both Alicia and Angie, we were initiated. That's what that's the term we use today, initiated. Back in the day, we, we would say we pledged, but we were initiated into one of the greatest sororities ever. And we just celebrated our Founders Day yesterday, but it's Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. And so these ladies and I, back in 1987, went through that amazing process together. And so we have remained united since then. And before then, we were debutantes together in Augusta, Georgia. So we are way back. And I trust the opinions of these two ladies explicitly, which is one of the reasons why I wanted them to share their knowledge with each of you. And so before we get started, I always like to ask my guests an important question. And that question is, what ignites your life? And so Angie, you can share first, um, followed by Alicia, what ignites your life? Well, you know, growing up in Augusta in the South, There's not a lot of diversity in what you see as far as prominent people are concerned. But I think it was instilled in me that hard work gets you where you need to be and it allows you to care for your family. And as I was growing and going to doctors, I never, not even in nurses, saw anyone who looked like me. And my aunt and my uncle were actually registered nurses, but my aunt being one of the first LPNs at University Hospital, I realized they did something that I was like, I don't see anybody else but them doing this. And so, you know, being ill and having asthma and having allergies, you know, we all want to play in the yard in in Augusta because we have grass. I was ill 
and going to doctor offices, I said, I think this is something I want to do. I want to help people. And as I, you know, got older, I realized, yeah, this is something that I can do. I can relate to people and I can help people. And even more so, I can help the people I love and the people who are in my community. Because again, I don't know who necessarily was doing that when we were younger. So we don't want to perpetuate that. We want to open up the eyes and the minds of our young people to know we can take care of our own and do a very good job at that and still care for our families. Yes, excellent. What about you, Alicia? I think what ignites me is family. And when I consider family, our friends and anyone that I can help giving back to the community, it was so important to me when I moved back home that I make connections in order to try to give back because I feel like the community that raised you, you owe. It is an obligation. So what I try to do is instill that in my students. I teach masters of physician assistant students at Augusta University. This is one of the first things I talk about. I am the associate director of admissions. It is not robbery to give back to the community that is a, a, mm-hmm. even a small part of your success. And so I try to instill mm-hmm. that. Also, just trying to help students reach their goal. That's very important to me. I remember when I wanted to apply to pharmacy school after Bennett. And at Bennett, I think we were spoiled because we were nurtured and loved and cared for as 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 Bennett's child. Um, Bennett raised us. I think I know Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be in the position that I am today without Bennett College. So I try to do the same thing now, even in the majority university setting that I'm in. So I reach out to really students of color. This is on my own personal time that I mentor. My first group of students that I've mentored, they were freshmen. They are starting to graduate. The first one, two graduated this past December. One, she has been accepted into four pharmacy schools. That's That was her goal. The second has is now... Uh, interviewing with medical schools across the country. And then I have three others that want to be PAs that will be graduating in 2021 this year. So I think what ignites me is giving back. Raising my daughter, I have a 16-year-old. She just turned 16 on Monday. You know, that's important. It's not really all about you. It really is all about how you are living your life to help others. And I think that is really coming home being in the community and giving back is, that's what ignites me. You are so correct. I think much given, much is required. Mm -hmm. And we have an obligation to give back and really reach back to the next generation and bring them forward because we've learned so Mm -hmm. many life lessons through Alpha Kappa Alpha, through our families living in the South. We've learned a lot in our professional settings. We, You've learned a lot, I'm sure, because you've served this country. Thank you for serving our mm-hmm. country, by the way. And so we have an obligation to share with the next generation, especially things that they may not be privy to. So thank you for sharing those two things. And that ignites my life as well. I have dedicated my life to to all women, but more specifically, women mm-hmm. of color are near and dear to my heart for obvious reasons, because we are Black women, right? And we've yeah. had to um, travel this journey and learn uh, many things. And so we're going to dive into our questions today. And ladies, I am going to um, put this out there. 
that I'm not sure if we're going to get through all of these questions, but they are very important. And so I hope that if we do not make it through, that you will come back to the show and share for a part two of this segment. So I don't want to put you on the spot, but I just want to have you back in the studio. So I want to talk about the racism aspect of healthcare first, followed by COVID, because I know everybody wants to know about COVID and the vaccine and what should they do. But I think before we, we dive into that conversation, it's important to set a foundation regarding healthcare and why women or people of color are so against, I wouldn't say they were against taking the vaccine, but they are hesitant, whether it's the Tuskegee Institute experiment that happened years ago where our people were impacted. There are so many reasons why some people are hesitant. And again, I trust you. So talk about the myth of the strong Black woman. I am in human resources. And so what I can tell you is that when Black women speak up in the in corporate America, sometimes they are labeled as being mm-hmm. aggressive or being too strong. And when that happens, sometimes they're not met. And I know that is prevalent in the healthcare industry as well. And so how has the myth of the strong Black woman stereotype and systemic racism, as well as unconscious bias, affected Black women's access to quality health care. And so I'm not sure which one of you want to take that question, but please feel free to jump in. Okay, I'll, I'll give my two cents on this. I think that in all areas of business, of society, women, especially women of color, are seen as angry. And I believe our anger to be frustration and fatigue because of all the roles we have to manage at every single point of our lives. And now with the way that society has been educated on our perils and our struggles, getting to the points where we are, we arrive at our points by different avenues. And our avenues have so many stumbling blocks and barriers that not until last year, I believe that the world began to understand the plight of black and brown people. And so our frustrations in trying to be sure that we are heard is perceived as anger. And, you know, one of the things that I I try in my family, most definitely in people that I uh, am privileged to mentor or be around is to have people to really become aware of their words, their demeanor, and being receptive to body language. Because as you're speaking to people, you can adapt to make sure that what you're saying is being heard. We don't always focus on these things. In our school, in our education, we're focused on passing tests. But one of the things that Bennett taught us was how to pronounce words, how to make ourselves clear, how to be sure that we are listening while we're talking. And that, I believe, carries and has carried me a long way. Still, you encounter people that expect for you to be a certain way. And things like, oh, I didn't think 
that was you. I didn't expect you to be that way. And again, those are things that we're talking about that are, they're subconscious and, but they're still biased. But when you have a goal in keeping your goal in mind, you can't worry really about those biases. You have to be sure you are informed that you continue to learn and that you always reflect back on how can you do things better. Yes. Thank you for that response. The one thing I often tell people, and I think Alicia, you alluded to it um, earlier in your intro, when you we talked about Bennett, you were talking about making tenure, which is absolutely amazing this year. But the, the one important thing that you said, and Angie, you kind of talked a little bit about that as well. When you're at Bennett College, we are the majority, right? And so mm-hmm. Bennett prepared us to be these strong powerful Black women and to always let our voice be heard. But it's a thing called dualism, right? You're Black and you're a Black woman. And so once you, once we left Bennett College, now you're ready to rule the world only to be faced with a lot of microaggressions, micro insults. It was unconscious bias, although I didn't know those terms years ago. Right. And so I think right. um, had an impact on you using your voice in a powerful way. But I think as we have gotten older, we have learned to find our voice again. And so mm-hmm. thank you for that, because we're going to talk a little bit more about that and how when Black women or people of color seek health care, how does that impact that, you know, the things that they faced, how does that impact them asking for help? But before we do that, Alicia, I'd like for you to respond to the question I posed earlier about the myth of the strong Black woman stereotype. I think it it really would be difficult to come behind Angie. I think she kind of captured that beautifully. But I, what I will say is, I think we all have, if you're on any social media platform, seen the video, I believe her name is Dr. Susan Moore, the physician yes. who was in the hospital being treated for COVID that videotaped her experience and where she felt like she was being overlooked. She was not being heard. Apparently she was not taken seriously. And it seemed from her perspective that her providers were not caring for her adequately. And she ended up being discharged from the hospital and passed away. And she, I believe she was a family practice physician, but I know she was a physician. So I think that demonstrated, I think we're in an era now where we see things play out on social media that we would have never seen before. I think I can't, think of a more prominent time for that than 2020 going into 2021 with everything that's going on mm-hmm. uh, in the United States of America as well as our world. So I think if someone as educated as that physician, Dr. Susan Moore, can be treated that way, how can we possibly protect women that are not as educated? Mm-hmm. Or people that are educated, but that are not educated as far as medical or their health. That could be any woman. I think it's really going to take reprogramming our healthcare providers. It's their responsibility. Can you share more about what can we do or what can other providers do that are not in the minority base? What can they do to make Black and Brown people feel 
more comfortable when they say that they're hurting or they say that something's wrong. I have heard time and time again that, that women have specifically stated that they're not taken seriously. I've heard it from men as well, but what kinds of things can they do to advocate for themselves? Well, first of all, providers need to listen to their patients. They need to listen. You do have certain patients that may be seekers of medications and pain meds and that kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. you should be able to be able to interpret if that is what is actually happening. But to me, just listening to their patients. And I think when you're talking about unconscious bias, you have to know that there's unconscious bias and what that is. Mm -hmm. Everybody has their own belief system. Mm -hmm. uh, systems, And so if you find yourself often believing things that may not necessarily be truth, you should be able to listen to people, listen to what people are telling you, listen to what your patients are saying. I think it actually goes back to training. We actually have in our program that I teach in a series of meetings with our students. And one of them that I actually lead is on unconscious bias. And we do a exercise. And in the past, prior to COVID, I brought both of my parents into this exercise. And so the students thought that they were just visiting the classroom. So my mother, who's 92, she'll be 93 years old this year. And my dad, who's 86, so this is about a year ago that I did this exercise and they came into the classroom. So the students thought they were visitors. And then one of my faculty colleagues also came into the classroom. And so one of the instructions that I gave the students was ensure everyone is involved in this activity that we are about to do. Everyone should participate. And so in the student's mind, everyone meant just the students, not the visitors. Now, is that not a form of unconscious bias? Because you just considered yourselves, and I said everyone in the classroom should participate. So little things like that. And we actually have a talk. We went through the exercise. We talked about, to me, if you use something simple like that to compare as a basis, as a foundation for what we're about to lead into, then students have something to relate to. So I think it goes back to using examples and going into training and talking about these topics before they ever become licensed or certified providers. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's an excellent example. I, I love the example about the, well, it was really a great example of how do you be inclusive? Exactly. And, and mm-hmm. how do you make people not feel ignored? Because that's the story of our lives. But right. if that's not your lived experience, you're not going to relate to what I am sharing with you. Right. And could I say, Jackie, my parents didn't know. They thought they were just coming to visit. They didn't know that I was doing that exercise. I didn't tell them. The students didn't know. They just thought my parents were there. But at the same time, when I said everyone participate, they naturally excluded themselves as well. And I think that's an example of what mm-hmm. we do. We kind of mm-hmm. take that message and just we just sit quietly. Mm-hmm. It's an underrated example, but it's, I think it's still an example because when I talked about at, after the exercise, so this is what happened. Both of my parents were like, oh, okay, yeah, right. <laughs> we excluded ourselves as well. And yes, so I think that's what we mm-hmm. do. We allow ourselves to be overlooked. And then when we speak right. up, we're angry. That's right. right? Yes. We're not strong. We're that's angry. Right. We're angry. Yeah. That's right. We're passionate. Right. You're, you're right. passionate. I heard in earlier in my career, we were interviewing a candidate and someone said when we debriefed, 
they said she was aggressive. And I said, please help me to understand what that means. And so the, the response did not equal someone being aggressive. She was being very passionate. And I said, imagine an African-American woman being in the presence of in a male dominated industry and they are in the presence of men that don't look like them, then they are taught to be assertive, not aggressive the way you are describing it, but aggressive in a great way. And so again, those are labels placed. Right. You're so fatigued to your point that you go into settings and you you become silent because you think that your voice is not important. And some people have excluded you as well through the years. And so we take on too much and that translates Mm -hmm. into healthcare and advocating for yourself as well. Correct. Do you have anything that you want to add to what Alicia just stated? Well, one of the things that I've learned, I think over this 20 plus years in medicine and somewhere in the middle of that, I became an administrator as well as a provider. And so I got, I had the unique opportunity to see both sides, I think, of the argument. And we're always patients. So that, you know, although we don't go like we should, healthcare providers are horrible. I got an opportunity to see again what those conversations were about staff, and about other administrative leaders, as well as I got to take care of them when they were ill. And so I could see how people would turn on and turn off themselves depending on their setting. Now, what I tell my patients and one of the things that I think that I am best at is actually helping people get their point across when they are ill And when they're seeking the advice of a specialist, because usually when we are ill, routine healthcare, we usually can have very light conversations and those visits go very nicely. It's when you're having a problem, when you are ill, that you have difficulty getting the care that you need and want or expect. And so I think preparation is just the thing that I try to arm my patients with and myself and my mother when she's going to see providers is walking in the room and being ready as if you're going to class, having your medicines, knowing what you want out of that visit, making sure you understand about time restraints. That is something that providers have no idea really how to handle. And still today, I kind of game myself into how can I do a better job today than I did yesterday. And I think if all providers would do that, we wouldn't be so surprised when a patient walks in with their notebook, with their medicines, with their questions, with their phone and their memos, you know, with what they should ask in orderly fashion so you can get those answers you want without being too rambling. And so that's one of the things that I try to prep my patients is when you need to take care of something, when you have multiple complex medical conditions, how do you make the best out of the time you are allotted? I don't think that in medicine, patients, neither do providers, understand we're all on in a time constraint and we have got to utilize that time to the best of our ability. 
Do you think that plays a part? Because when you go to the doctor, you're right. Women, men, whomever, we want to be so wordy, right? And we we're just we're telling them every um, thing that we have experienced. But you, that's a great point that you guys are on a time constraint, and so if you're not concise, then you're not going to be able to get your point across and not get the care you need. Right. The, the one thing I want to pose to both of you is that our parents are getting older. And so it, it's interesting because we're in the sandwich generation. Some of us, we're taking care of kids, we're taking care of elderly parents, et cetera. And so what I've learned is that from a pharmacy standpoint in terms of the medicine, and it, and when, when you talk about the actual healthcare piece of it, when elderly parents go to the doctor and they don't really know how to communicate what's wrong with them, and then the doctors are using these big terms and so they once knew what that meant, but they're getting older. And so their brains right. aren't working as quickly anymore. Right. And so I want you to just speak briefly to what can people like me who have, who's caring for elderly parents, how can we help our elderly advocate for themselves in the healthcare system? And then on the flip side, like my parents are on a lot of medication. And I can tell you that depending on where they get that prescription filled, that, that the generic name of the medicine might be on the bottle or the formal name might be. And it's really the same thing. And it causes major confusion to the point where I can see that elderly people could take the wrong quantity of their medicine yep. or the wrong medicine. Can you speak briefly to that in terms of what can be done or, or what should people think about? I can start because, uh, yes, I am in the sandwich generation. Um, as I mentioned, my parents' ages earlier, my dad drops his medicine cabinet off at my house once a month. So I am the person responsible for, he has the medication container. So I definitely recommend that. If there's an advocate for the elderly. He takes eight meds in the morning and he takes five in the evening. He's had uh, quadruple by bypass surgery and aortic valve replacement. He's a heart failure patient, but he's doing well because I manage his med. Well, I'm not saying he's doing well just because of that, but I do manage his medications for him. Whenever there is a visit with his cardiologist or his primary care, my dad will call me. They're asking me this. I'm not sure. So I'll always know when he has an appointment so that I can kind of intervene and answer those questions. My mom, who has, she, she has dementia. I'm not claiming Alzheimer's. I'm just going to call it dementia. My sister has actually moved home. She's a 30-year employee with State Farm Insurance. So she's teetering between retirement and figuring out what she wants to do post-State Farm. So she's actually, since COVID, has moved home with my mom. But I'm still the person that handles all of her medical as far as her prescriptions. And I will say that even this week and last week shows me that just because I'm a healthcare professional, we're not beyond issues that may happen with medication. My mother actually was prescribed something by her eye doctor that she had issues with. It, it really formed like a neurotoxicity for her, which caused hallucinations, dementia, worsening. It caused her to be agitated and aggravated. And my mother's always peaceful. So we knew that there was something different. So I guess what I'm saying, you're not beyond these things happening. But as her child and with my sister being there with her, we noted that there was something very different about her demeanor. And so we have to be proactive. And within a couple of days, when we kind of figured it out, I even text Angie, tried to call her a couple of times to get advice. 
as well. And we had to be proactive and we just stopped the medication. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. that was the best result. So even with me being in healthcare, that doesn't mean things still won't happen. But I think as caregivers, even if we are distant caregivers for our parents, we still need to listen to them, look at what's different about them and then just be proactive. Absolutely. I usually tell my patients, again, I'm a notebook fanatic. Matter of fact, my office manager slash RN bought about 10 cases of notebooks and had our children doing this time when they're not in school. That was their activity were to get these notebooks ready. Notebooks need to be in the home of the person that you're caring for. And the notebooks need to go wherever the patient goes. When you don't understand something, you ask the provider or the nurse to write it down. Whatever papers they give you, you put it in the notebooks. I also tell my younger patients to use their cell phones since cell phone data transfers so easily now. We no longer have to go and do the download stuff. Their memos, they should have a health memo page. They should have a symptom memo page. And then they should have their office visit page. And those are things that they should keep in their phones so that as things come up, they can go ahead and jot down the information so that when we're together, we can go through the notebook, we can go through the phone, and we can get the answers to their questions, or at least try to start figuring things out. The other thing I recommend, my particular EMR system has a patient portal. Most hospitals, most ERs, doctor's offices, labs, radiology, they have patient portals. Sign up for the patient portal and you disseminate that username and password to your loved ones so that way they can log in and look at your information. And you should do that. I have a lot of the providers, because we're in town, they will send me mom's information straight to me and always have. So I always have her labs and know about her medications and what's going on, but you cannot take the word. We love our relatives. I love everybody in my family, but I don't believe what they say for nothing. I need to see it. So I need to see the document. I need to get the records. I need to look at the pill bottles. I need to see what the lab says. I want to see it for myself because then that helps me build the picture. So, oh, you forgot to tell me this one thing. So that one thing makes a difference. So we should be nosy about our relatives' medical information and be nosy about those visits and sending your questions to the providers or making a time where you go in because I've had um, relatives come in at the time of the patient and it's not for the patient, but it's for me to have a conference with the family. And that's perfectly fine and it should be fine. If your provider says that is not okay, then you should, it's your money, it's your insurance, it's your life, it's your loved one. You get to make the decision. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. The the last thing I'll say is another tip that I have employed is I am four hours away from my mom and my father. And so when there's a doctor's appointment, if they don't have anyone to accompany them, I will often say, when you go to the doctor, please make sure that they connect me via FaceTime or Mm -hmm. cell phone. And I'm asking the questions and I'm writing them down. And then I go back and explain what the doctors 
have shared with mm-hmm. them so that they clearly mm-hmm. understand. So right. let's pivot and talk about COVID because we are in the era of COVID. And so that really, the conversation we just had. Thanks for listening to Beauty for Ashes, the podcast with your host, Jacqueline Johnson. If you like what you've just heard, please be sure to visit and subscribe to our podcast on many of the major outlets such as Anchor, Spotify, Podbean, Google, and Apple Podcasts so that you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a positive rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend or another sister about us, that would be amazing too. This has been a Firestarter production. Join us every other Saturday for another episode of Beauty for Ashes, the podcast. Until then, do something to ignite your life. Peace.